you need to be outspoken. You need to think differently. You need to act differently. And that's where change happens. And I think a lot of what change originates from is the ability to dream. It's the ability to be imaginative. Yeah. It's the ability to envision a future that currently doesn't exist. Yeah. And this goes back to current reality and vision and the tension between that. And so for me, one of the things that I think has um, subconsciously um, affected me is that whenever I'm in a very traditional school setting or whenever school feels like very traditional, the more and more I'm entrenched in that environment, the less and less I become able to dream big, I think. Um, Because, you know, the traditional system, right, it's the way things have always been. I feel that sort of engulf me, just that aura, that vibe almost of like Mm. the way the things have been and the status quo just engulfs me to the point where it makes it very difficult for me to imagine what could be. Hello, you're listening to the Courage to Create podcast, the show that our oldest son, who is a high school junior, talks about education. If you are new to the show, you can check out the introduction episode where I explained why I decided to start this project. This week, the second semester started. Isamu has a new set of teachers, and he talked about the project they will be working on the next few months and the trip he took to San Jose in preparation for the upcoming internship. He also talked about what he needs to be able to dream big. Well, first of all, Happy New Year. This is the first episode back in 2024, uh, which is quite insane to think about. And the new semester is has started, and it's been great. Um, this week has been it's been four days. We started with we started with um, just getting back into the flow of things. I have biology and humanities now. So in biology, this week we we went on a field trip to um, the San Diego River and Ocean Beach, and we collected some water and soil samples um, from each of those locations. And then uh, later on uh, in the week, we ran various experiments on it to kind of you know get some data about it um, and compare them. And we took the pH of the soil um, and we ran salinity tests for the water at different locations. Um, and one interesting thing is at Ocean Beach, the salinity of the water was about 20, 20.9-ish, 20. um, whereas um, for San Diego River, it was like 839 or something like that. that what does that exactly measure? Like, is it how clean it is? How much salt, I think, is in oh, it. Oh, okay. And... And so it just, you know, that that clear gap um, just goes to show how much cleaner it gets before it enters the ocean, Hmm. um, I think. Interesting. Yeah. I think so. I may be, that may be switched up, but I'm not quite sure, (laughs) you know. Okay. Um, But anyway, yes. And so, no, we had a lot of reflection questions on what what is the... uh, what are the different observations we have of each of the environments? How are they similar? How are they different? Um, and tying this back to humanities, 
we actually focused on a systems archetype um, called the tragedy of the commons, mm. which is very common in environmental science, but also can be seen in many other places. But essentially, you have a commons, which is owned by nobody, but used by everybody. So this could be, you know, a river where people use the water for um, um, drinking water or used to clean things, right? And so no one owns the river per se, um, but everyone needs to use it. And obviously now, you know, governments and other, you know, people do claim ownership over these things. But essentially, you know, you have the San Diego River, which is a protected land. Um, but, you know, the question we've asked ourselves is, how does that interact with its environment? You know, how do inter humans interact with it? Um, it clearly, you know, separates, um, it cuts through urban development. Um, what kind of ecosystem services do, might it provide? You know, and, you know, a variety of different things. Um, and so we studied more about, you know, the tragedy of the commons. And I think they did a fun example of uh, our scenario using like Hershey's um, and to kind of demonstrate tragedy of the commons. Um, somehow they ran like a simulation or experiment. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, you know, that's a very important concept to understand and grasp, especially in this current world where so much of our comments, you know, so much of the stuff that everyone uses is at great detriment. Um, and this relates, um, to our project, which I will, uh, talk about, but, um, yeah, that's what we were doing, uh, on the biology side of things. And then also, uh, on the humanity side, you know, as I just said, we've been studying, um, these these systems archetypes um we've also watched today we watched um democracy now which is uh, a, a tradition a custom that um, my humanities teacher does hmm. and essentially um he'll put on democracy now for like you know 10 15 minutes or so um going through a variety of headlines um and then we get to journal independently and then talk about it with our with the people around us and then you know have an open class discussion about it um using equity cards and equity cards are basically just randomly selecting people from a bunch of cards um and and you know i think for him it's very important that we um we are we understand you know the major headlines that are happening throughout the world it's very yeah. important that we are educated citizens on the on you know the news around us um, and also, I really appreciate the the um, culture he sets and the norms he puts forth, such that the space is is very um, inclusive and respectful. And I, I think, he, you know, he he intentionally crafts the space such that you know we are able to share and discuss about you know these things, which are you know the, a lot of the news today is very charged, very polarized, can be very controversial at times. Mm. Um, but like we can still discuss it you know in, in a constructive manner and i think that's very important um and you know um this wednesday i flew out to um another school uh, up north um in kind of preparation for my internship um and so that was that was a lovely experience i got to talk with you know the mentor who i will be which is a former teacher of mine um, i got to tour their school a lot and you'll see kind of the similarities and differences um in how they operate versus us and one thing I've that struck me was how much culture is important within school environments, which is very obvious um, to me at least. But more so, the culture of teachers in terms of how the teachers, you know, um, interact with one another. You know, how do they respect each other? How they show up for each other, or you know, lack of thereof. Um, I think is 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 super. You know, you know it's actually a very key um, factor for determining how the quality of the social space is with the students. Because, you know, if the right sort of 
attributes are modeled in teachers, you know, if the teachers can demonstrate that, you know, we have camaraderie, we have teamwork, we are there for each other, we support each other, then I think it makes for a very generative social field for students too. But if that's kind of lacking with amongst the teachers, like if many of them are isolated or separate, or like just um, holding, you know, tight to their own classroom, but not necessarily reaching out to other teachers, like, I feel, you know, that disconnection, like, it kind of is, you know, it, 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 it indirectly infects almost like the social field of within like the young people the students mm-hmm. and you know you can kind of see how that it changes between schools yeah. so that was like an, an interesting observation um i had um and one other thing um i kind of went on this whole very uh, lengthy philosophical sort of exercise within my mind um centering around the idea of privilege um in terms of one's sort of academic ability or intellectual capacity and you know i fundamentally believe that uh, intellectual ability um which is very multifaceted um there's not one t- form of intelligence there are many forms of intelligence but you know if, if you just take out a very broad you know idea i think intellectual capacities are a function of privilege um and you know it, it depends on your parental conditioning the family situation you know were you exposed to books when you were young you know did you have um access to different informations and knowledge and resources you know and all of these things which we may not be able to pinpoint exactly you know where someone's um, intellect came from or originated from when they were younger but definitely the upbringing and the and the people around them and the communities they were in and the location of the world they are you know in the in the times of, of, of the life that they grew up in all of those things um, impact you know yeah. how someone shows up yeah. when they're older and you know a lot of these things could be attributed to like things like luck right it's you know by like just happenstance yeah that these things are like that things outside of your control right things outside of your control um but at the same time you know you can also view it through the lens of privilege right like some people were born into this world at different you know with different access to different things um and and yet in schools or at least you know schools that kind of ha- yeah within schools you know if you have a collection of these individuals that shows up in how these individuals you know are and so it's very very important to kind of really get that systems perspective and understand that there are varying levels and backgrounds of privileges that enabled each person to get to where they are Mm. and that is where you know they are and you know i think it's the reason i think about it a lot is because I know, you know, in the world right now, there are so many inequities, there are so many disparities, there are so many injustices, yeah. you know, um, you know, and, and, and fundamentally, it's the current world that has been going on that has created slash perpetuated these things, right? And for me, part of my rebellious personality and part of why I, I, I defy the system, so to speak, or I try to defy the system is because I know that it is exactly the current way of doing things that um, that has led to these results, right? And so long as I continue perpetuating that system, so long as I keep doing the same thing that everyone else has been doing, I more or less guarantee that it's going to stay that way, mm. right? It's going yeah. to remain that way. Yeah. So the only option to actually do something different to make that change towards forward progress 
is to not do what everyone else is doing. It's is to go beyond sort of the limitations of what is expected of you, right? And and see if you can just do try to do anything just different or unique. And and by deviating from the path, like maybe you don't even know that it will become better. But the by virtue of deviating from the path, you allow the opportunity for something better to might happen,、mm. right? Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of comes to this idea that the status quo, you know, there's nothing I guess inherently wrong with someone just doing what they're supposed to be doing, quote unquote, in this sort of game. You know, like there's nothing wrong in someone playing the game as it is. You know, going to high school, getting really good grades, going to college, getting a job. You know, and not trying to do anything to change the system, but just playing the system. Like from that person's perspective, yeah, you're living life as you know you were quote supposed to do, and there's nothing wrong with that. And yet, from my sort of change maker perspective, I view following the status quo. As opposite to wanting change, because I've defined it that way. So it's all about frame of reference. From the person living life as you know, one might might would, you know, there's nothing wrong trotting the path that's that's been on you know a thousand times, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's no blame in doing that. And yet, from my stance, right, I know that. By continuing to participate in the current system and the ways that it has constructed, you guarantee that the current injustices and injustices,、um, and disparities and whatnot will likely continue to go on.、Mm. And in order to change those things, you need to be outspoken. You need to think differently. You need to act differently, right? And that's where change happens. And I think a lot of what change originates from is the ability to dream. Right, its ability to be imaginative,、yeah. its ability to envision a future that currently doesn't exist,、yeah. and this goes back to you know current reality and vision and the tension between that, right? And so for me, part of my sort of one of the things that I think has、um, subconsciously、um, affected me is that whenever I'm in a very traditional school setting or whenever school feels like very traditional. The more and more I'm entrenched in that environment, the less and less I become able to dream big. I think,、um, because, you know, the traditional system, right? It's the way things have always been. I feel that sort of engulf me, you know, and and it, it, it's an intangible substance, really. But like, just that aura, that vibe, almost of like、mm. the way the things have been、yeah. and the status quo, just engulfs me to the point where it makes it very difficult for me to imagine. What could be、hmm. right? Whereas if I'm in a very creative environment where you know teachers can foster all sorts of imagination and new ideas and big bold you know dreams, then I feel it's much easier to you know create visions that are like, ooh, what if I could do that or what if we could do that? And you know, I really really believe that you know the current world. I mean, 20, speaking of 2024, right? The amount of you know sort of Not good in the world, right? It's tremendous, yeah, right. Um, and that, that's not to say that you know there is not good because you know there are so many other good things, right? And there's so many ways society has gotten better over the past century or decade or、yeah. few years, right?、Yeah. And so we're not you know、um, dismissing all of that, but at the same time, especially for younger generations, it is kind of a scary you know. Place to think about with you know global warfare and climate crisis and economic、um, um, 
injustices and like all these different things that you know if you take them all at once it's just too much yeah and it makes you feel helpless right right yeah and that hopelessness and in order to you know try to achieve something better you know change needs to happen change is required and yet if people are not in environments where they can imagine if they can dream big then unfortunately things just like that that's the first step into it and and we can't even see you know beyond what is the current way um and that's you know i feel like that is something that we should not let happen and that's why you know part of what i want to do within education is allow you know students the space and the resource and, and the guidance to find a find their creative living um and really lean into that and you know once you immerse yourself within a field or industry or sector you know it's not just doing the things that the way things have always been but it's by it's by getting so you know it's by learning about your industry or fields to the point where you can realize oh there might be better ways to do this or oh have you considered this right and i think especially with young people you know they are born into this world with curiosity and imagination we should leverage that to the highest degree possible right we should introduce hey here's the current world as it is you know and then have their minds sort of run wild with it and see if they can imagine different possibilities and instead of like squandering all that which a lot of you know traditional schools models and styles and pedagogies do we should foster that and nurture that you know and i think those are like where we'll find sort of breakthrough ideas and we'll be able to you know grow a cohort of young people who are able to sort of push the boundaries so to speak and i think that is you know where i i strive for our society to be more accepting of Hmm. um yes and so that was you know i've thought about this and percolated the idea in my mind by you know going to this other school um and then you know cross-referencing my experience with the experience i had over there and i think this is kind of the result um of that so yes um i what you were saying reminded me of this one question that i know high tech high graduate school asked of the people who want to apply um a friend of mine who was doing doing the high tech high graduate school degree said it asks how do you plan to disrupt the current system right yeah yeah i i that completely resonates with me um but at the same time the i guess for me as a change maker it's kind of it's a tough acceptance that i've had to learn but not everyone is a change maker that's the other thing yeah in fact I would argue the mass majority of people are not change makers. They're not disruptors. Yeah. Most people are taking the path of least resistance, right? Most people are just doing what comes naturally and easiest to them, right? Um, and and that's kind of the game that we're in. That's the system we're in. And, you know, it's tough because when I look at that, I can feel frustrated. You know, I can feel like, why aren't you trying to do more to make the world a better place, right? But... The thing that I have had to accept is that, you know, no one's born into this world needing to make the world a better place. Yeah. Right? That's not like written as a description of what it means to be a human. No. Like your job, I mean, there is no definition, but like for most people it's just to live life, you know, have fun, have, have joy, you know, and be in happy. Our, be happy in our current capitalist society, like make enough money to support yourself, spend money, you know, have friends, like it's those kind of things. But it's no it's no it's no one's job so to speak to 
change the world towards a better, you know, to make the world a better place. And yet, you know, I find it so um, uh, admirable that, you know, some people do think that, you know, that is something that they want to work on and they do spend their life um, and their career trying to build a better place. See, like that is also the potential within humans, I think, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so it's interesting. On the one hand, you have people who just take the path of resistance and just do what is expected of them. And then there are some people who kind of realize that, you know, the world isn't the best place that it could be in. And they actually strive every day to make it a better place. Right. And if that's the case, then I'm curious, you know, what distinguishes those two people? Like what experience do they need to have in order to, I guess, you know, be someone who wants to make the world a better place. Right. Um, And I think, you know, for people who this system's benefits, I think they have very little incentive to change it, right? Um, but for people who, you know, who've experienced hardship, who experienced adversity, you know, whose system is built against you, right? Then it is inherent for you to, you know, it, it's almost like thrust upon you, right? Like, even if you wanted to live your life normally, there's no such thing as normal, right? If, you know, you're living in a world that is designed to be against you. And there are so many, you know, dimensions of injustices you could look at this but i feel like you know those are often you know in the places of struggle and hardship are often the times like that that birth the uh change making desire so to speak yeah um and so yeah that's kind of it's it's a strange philosophical exercise to think about you know that's the system that we have that's the world we live in and and you know whether you want to say that's right or wrong i mean it's the current reality, right? And and it's a reality that we've had to, you know, live in and I've had to live in. I have to figure out how to navigate, um, you know, and even if I do want change, if, even if I do want to, you know, reshape educational systems, I look at the people around me and mass majority of them don't really have an opinion about it. Like they've never, it hasn't crossed their mind. And, you know, so it may be hard to like connect uh, in that sense, right? Um, but, you know, yeah, it's just a lot of uh, unpacking and, and thinking to do uh, in that regard. How did you spend your 17 days of winter break, looking back? I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, it finally gave me the time to work on my e-portfolio, which is essentially a website that, how, that documents my master practitioner project. Um, and that was just a real moment of interest, introspection where I got to just write all the ideas I had and then sort of edit them and revise them and combine ideas. Um, and that really delineated sort of, you know, where, what is my current state of uh, mind regarding education? And I think there are many things that came out of it, um, and it was really insightful, and so I, I enjoyed working on that. Um, I've also, um, so since 2024, I wanted to get better at my handwriting, both <laughs> cursive and, and, and font, yeah. or print font. Um, and so I've, I've, I have a journal um, that I'm doing uh, daily, and I, I'm very um, strict about it, habitual about it. And so... So yeah, my, my journaling practice has um, really improved, um, which I'm grateful for. Um, and, you know, I've been running more, trying to get exercise. Um, and also I've been uh, learning financial literacy. And so Khan Academy um, has graciously put up a financial literacy course, which I think is a must for everyone, really. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've been just, you know, going through it a unit a day, um, watching the videos, um, p- taking the unit test. and. I have learned so much about 
you know, financial literacy and how the world works and how do taxes work and how do mortgages work and what are loans and what banks and like how do you open one and what are things to consider and like what's I nine and what's a W four like all these different things that are like super important to live in the world to function in the world and yet are rarely talked about by many individuals, especially within schools, which I think is such a detriment to young people's lives. And so I am grateful that I have been able to learn it. And also, now I kind of want to share this knowledge, you know, to other people at my school, you know. Um, And so that's kind of like the inspirational spark uh, that's within me um, regarding that. And also, I think, you know, over the break, yeah, just lots of introspection on how, you know, so much of life is a practice, you know, and, and really, you know, the question you need to ask yourself every day is like, you know, are my behaviors, are my actions um, advocating for the kind of person I want to be, Mm. right? And, and it's so, it's so easy to get into this, like, binary of I'm either this person or that person, or, you know, oh, one day I'll just change into this new person. And, and, and from then on, I'll, I'll just be that person. Yeah. It really isn't the case, right. right? It's like, you know, you you need to ask yourself, you know, are the practices I'm doing, are the actions I'm taking um, a step closer to becoming the person I want to be, right? Or the identity I want to uh, embody. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, on the one hand, you can think about that and be like, ah, oh, like, I wish there was like an easy flip or like a, a simple, Switch. you know, a one, one, one product that solves it all yeah. to become the person I want to be. Yeah. But on the other hand, you can also think of how that's kind of a blessing in disguise because it's like, oh, just because, you know, you didn't do so well one day, like you didn't do, you, you, you didn't, you know, do the actions or behaviors that, you know, you want to embrace. You can always do it the next day, right? Yeah. And the day after that, and then maybe the day after that, it, it doesn't go so well. That's okay, you know. You can continually just, just, just keep the practice up, you know, or try to revive the practice, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, thinking about life and, and your, you know, identity in, in those terms um, is really illuminating. And I think, you know, for me, that's been super important, especially, you know. 2024 you know what kind of person do I want to be what kind of growth do I want to achieve right and it's not always that every day will be headed towards that but you know you shouldn't get discouraged because you kind of like ended it one day or you it didn't work out so you know it's like so smoothly um there definitely will be bumps along the roads right and so it's about reminding yourself you know giving yourself the grace to actually you know grow in those ways and remind yourself that you know it, life is a practice yeah right and for sure and, and it's just, it, 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 all it takes is ask yourself, you know, who, who I want to become and what do I need to do to get there, right? And just keep doing that, keep repeating that. And, you know, eventually, when you look back on all of it, you'll realize how much growth, but you can never really tell uh, when you're in it in the moment. Um, so, yeah, that is, um, that has been sort of my introspection um, over, over the winter break. Yeah. Um, how much time do you have for this current project? Oh yeah, the project. Um, we have about maybe two and a half months. Okay. Um, which is, in in school terms, it's actually very very short. Um, but yeah, our project is uh, so it's in regards to um, it's a place called the Lithium Valley, where it's essentially it's a location where there's a the Salton Sea area, um, which they found lots of lithium deposits and lithium um. Uh, is, is a mineral that is used in uh, batteries and, and, and 
microchips probably and like essentially it makes a lot of the technology that the world runs on today like iPhones or electric vehicles right and so they found this huge deposit and then they know that this there um, and but the question is you know obviously people and companies are going to want to start extracting that right yet the current way of extracting lithium requires lots of lands has you know bad environmental consequences um, and can be destructive to like the local ecosystem and local communities and whatnot and so the question here is like you know what can what can be done to like have nuanced conversations around this issue such that you know we can consider all the different dimensions in terms of like indigenous tribes and the local community members and agriculture and farmers um and the companies and the politicians you know and really you know have a democratic process and think you know what what is good policy what are good laws to set you know precedents to set such that we can yes continue to you know get this very valuable mineral but at the same time not just completely wreck the environment and and the people um who live there mm-hmm. so this is this is what our project about i love this because it's so relevant um i think you can find um personal connection to different aspects of it um it requires deep thinking and, and it's super novel right it's happening right now and so yeah. i think you know this path this has all four tenants of you know a, a really excellent uh, project theme and I, I'm, I'm really excited for uh, the coming months. Um, yeah. Although, one thing I might say that I've been reflecting on is in ninth grade and, and, and half of 10th grade, I think the projects and like exhibitions were more designed by students. Mm. But one thing I've noticed is like in the upper grades, so like 11th grade and possibly 12th grade, it's more the teachers have designed the projects and then the students participate in them, so to speak right um instead of like students designing the exhibition it's like teachers knowing what it will be and then having students fulfill roles that they've assigned yeah yeah um and that's kind of interesting because it's essentially like over time teachers are exerting more control over the students um because i guess well i don't i don't really know and it's so dependent on teachers too but i think Mm. you know with this emphasis on college and the idea that you know there's a game that you're playing and we're, we know the way to get you there and we're trying to, you know, give you the best way to do that. I think that kind of seeps into how the projects are designed too, where it's that, you know, wow, we have... That's an interesting theory. <laughs> yeah, we have, you know, we, we know what is, you know, best for you, so to speak. And so, yeah. And, and it's not that I'm complaining, so to speak, because I really, really love this project. But I've just noticed that, you know, yeah, a majority of it was designed by the teachers and very little student input is, you know, given like the expedition or, or final final product and stuff like this. And it's like, and it goes back to like the imagination thing, which is like, you know, when students had to design projects, we need imagination. But now it's like, I don't need to be creative because the teachers have done the heavy lifting to make it for us and now I just have to participate in it. But wasn't like uh, 10th grade, did the theater? Right, so that was another example of like, you know, teacher exerting more more control. So you, the, you already so, yes. need a format and right, what right, to right. do. Exactly. Well, wasn't right. the case in 9th grade? No, well, yeah, because in 9th grade, you know, with the projects such as Uncommon Message or Civ Game even, you know, those projects were just completely uh, like totally wild bold ideas and that were driven by you know student leadership right and we really designed how it was going to look like you know what exhibition location would be um oh, what the boost would look that. like you know how the format like that was like student-led um and so that required a lot of imagination and i think also a function of that is like students take more ownership over it whereas when you have a project that's quote like assigned to you um then it's very like students don't take as much response or ownership over it it's like yeah. i'll do this for the grade and the assignments but like 
you know, I, I won't really invest my personal self in it. Um, that, that's just a tendency that I've observed. Um, and so it's an interesting thing to think about, right? And especially as a teacher, you know, most teachers, most good teachers with like lots of experience, they probably can reasonably make interesting projects that for the most part are are really good for their students. Mm. But the learning that I've had to do and, and you know, the greatest teachers out there know this is that you, you can't always be in the driver's seat, right? Yeah. You, you kind of have to step back and let them take the wheel. And it's so difficult as a teacher because like supposedly the traditional way of doing things like, you know, your identity as a teacher is rooted in how well you can teach your students, right? Yeah. You can guide them, you can talk to them, right? But I think the, the true sort of demonstration of a teacher or, you know, a facilitator of for that matter is like, you know, can you, can you just, you know, gently have your hand on the steering wheel, but really allow them to be imaginative, to be creative, to kind of guide their own learning, right? Because, um, you know, young people, if given the right opportunities and the right circumstances and the right, you know, coaxing, you know, students <laughs> will do that, yeah? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think students want to do that most of the time yeah. um, before they have to worry about college and all that stuff. But yeah. I think that's what, you know, why my teachers, you know, my previous, you know, wonderful teachers, they chose to ch- teach ninth grade is because they, you don't have that pressure, you know, uh, right? More time. Exactly. There's more time, There's more time. Yeah. and you're not succumb to like, oh, college and oh, SAT prep and oh, all these other things that, you know, all these external. Yeah. And I really think these external pressures of like very like superficial metrics is what causes a lot of detriment to like the quality of very rich and inspiring education, right? And yeah, again, going back to, you know, this is the current reality. This is a system that we live in. And as much as I would love to be able to like, you know, be free of all of these, unfortunately, you know, even these teachers are, are you know, they have different you know, standardized testing and metrics that they need to focus on and they, they, they need to worry about. And, and it, it obviously affects the way they can show up and, and for their students. So, yeah, it is, it's definitely a learning curve and something that is continually need to be unpacked in a, in a nuanced process. Um, yeah, that was this week. Okay, signing off? Yep. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Isamu is in 11th grade. That means he has a year and a half left in high school. Like everyone else, he will be thinking more seriously about the life after high school, and hopefully, we will hear how his plans evolved in the coming months. As always, please share your comments and questions. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.